Welcome everyone to this podcast on the legislative proposal for an, the establishment of an anti-money laundering authority via a European regulation. This podcast forms part of a podcast series on the legislative proposal of the European Commission on the anti-money laundering legislative proposal that was first published around a year ago and which has now advanced through further drafts and reports that we have seen coming in from the European Parliament and the Council. We have done a similar podcast a year ago when the legislative um, proposal was first published and we would now like to look at some of the topics in a bit more detail and also give you an update on what has happened in the meantime. I'm Janina Heinz, I'm a counsel in the financial services regulatory practice here in Frankfurt and I'm joined today by my colleagues Victor Garcia Lopez and Marcel Michaelis. Victor is a consultant in our EU regulatory and public affairs group. He's based in Brussels and Marcel is an associate in the White Collar Defense, Compliance and Global Investigations group based in Berlin. I've already given you a brief introduction to our topic today, the Anti-Money Laundering Authority, which will be set up by way of this draft regulation, is often referred to as AMLA. And I would now like to ask Victor to give us a brief on where the AMLA regulation stands in the EU legislative process. Thank you, Danina. So, as you rightly pointed out a year ago, the Commission presented the AML legislative package. But since then, what has happened? So far, this regulation is being amended in parallel by the two co-legislators, namely the European Parliament and the Council. On the one hand, in the Parliament, the proposal was allocated to two committees. One, the Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee, and two, the Civil Liberties Committee. This Civil Liberties Committee is looking more at aspects related to data protection and financial crime. The Conference of Presidents decided to deal with this file in a joint procedure because there are areas that are falling within the competence of the Econ Committee and other areas are falling within the competence of the Libre Committee. In these joint procedures, two MEPs, one from each committee and from different political groups, are appointed to co-lead the Parliament's position on this file. In this case, the so-called co-rapporteurs are Spanish Liberal MEP Luis Garicano, coordinator of the Renew Europe group for the Econ Committee, and Bulgarian Christian Democrat MEP Emil Radev, who is the vice chair of the Libre Committee. After several months of negotiations and a few points of friction between the core rapporteurs, on 30th of May, the draft report, which contains amendments to the Commission's proposal, was finally published. This report has just been amended by all the members of the European Parliament who have a comment on their procedure and they had until 24th of June to table their amendments and the Parliament has recently made them publicly available. On the other hand, in the Council, the work started under the Slovenian Presidency. More concretely, it was the Council Working Party on Financial Services, the one which started examining the proposal in September 2021. Once France took over the Council presidency, AMLA became a top priority in the agenda. 
after several technical meetings and long discussions on direct supervision, the French managed to reach a partial general approach last month, almost the last day under its presidency mandate. This general approach is a partial one because the Council has not agreed yet on the location at which the authority will have its seat. As you know, there are different member states in the run-up for hosting this new authority, but the Council is waiting for further guidance from the court on this matter. Now that the institutional assent is set, uh, let me move into substance and for that I would like to ask uh, both of you, Janina and Marcel, if you could tell us more about what the mandate of AMLA is and also what are the key features of the institutional arrangements of this new authority. Thank you, Victor. So the mandate um, will cover the entire European Union. And I would like to highlight that because that is different from the mandate um, that you are probably all familiar with of the European Central Bank in the area of prudential supervision, which only covers the Eurozone and member states who decide to participate in this common supervisory system, SSM, as well. So that is different. Um, AMLA will actually cover the entire European Union. Primarily, AMLA will have a supervisory role, um, which will combine direct and indirect supervision. And um, it is important to highlight when it comes to direct supervision, and we will touch upon that in more detail later on, this will be only in relation to financial sector entities. Whereas um, the role that AMLA will have uh, in respect of indirect supervision, this will also cover all obliged entities under the anti-money laundering rules and regulations. In addition to the supervisory role, which um, focuses on compliance with AML legislation, AMLA will also have an enhanced role in the coordination and support of financial intelligence units, commonly referred to as FIUs, who are responsible for the assessment of suspicious transactions. And um, this enhanced role of AMLA will also include the management of a dedicated IT system for cooperation and information exchange, at the moment referred to as FIU.net. This twofold role of AMLA, meaning having a primarily a supervisory role, but also a certain role in coordinating and supporting FIUs, is also reflected in quite a complex governance structure, which is proposed for AMLA. This complex governance structure will provide, amongst others, for a general board with representation, so to speak, from the member states. And this general board will have two compositions. One composition will be the heads of the FIU, i.e. the heads of the FIUs across the member states. And the other composition of the general board will be um, comprised of the heads of the AML supervisors. And there's also an option, at least uh, according to the council negotiating position, for FIU delegates to be sent to AMLA. Lastly, I would like to note from an institution perspective, I would also like to mention that the establishment of AMLA will be based on the joint statement and common approach on decentralized agencies. And then another feature will be that it has partially only limited discretion, which is because of its establishment as an agency. And that means, uh, most importantly, that for certain decisions around taking up direct supervisions of certain entities, this will actually be subject to a decision of the European Commission. So in terms of uh, staff and resources, the initial proposal of the EU Commission suggested AMLA should have around 250 employees. 
By way of comparison, this is just a bit more than the stuff of the French Financial Intelligence Unit, which had less than 200 staff members in 2020. It is significantly less than the workforce of the German Intelligence Unit, which employs around 380 people. The AMLA's budget should amount to approximately 46 million euros. As it is often the case with European supervisory authorities, the budget should not be funded solely from the EU's financial resources, but mostly by financial contributions from obliged entities. The initial proposal suggests that 75% of AMLA's budget should be collected from the private sector. Both the European Parliament's draft report as well as the Council's general approach underline the necessity to provide the AMLA with sufficient human and financial resources to enable it to effectively execute its powers. Both found the initial proposal insufficient. This has also been emphasized several times during the committee's debate. While no specific number has been provided, the Spanish Liberal MEP Luis Garicano, one of the co-authors of the draft report, considered that 500 to 700 employees would be needed. Hence also the budget needs to be increased significantly. The need for such a substantial workforce may be seen against the backdrop that AMLA shall not only supervise 40 to 45 major financial institutions, but also, as Janina already mentioned, bundle resources and competences, especially with regard to IT and artificial intelligence services and tools for secure information sharing. Overall, the updated numbers demonstrate the EU's ambition and the important role of AMLA in the fight against money laundering. Janina, could you maybe elaborate a bit more on the key tasks and powers of AMLA? Sure. So, as already mentioned, um, there are two aspects to that direct supervision and indirect supervision. When it comes to direct supervision, we have already established direct supervision will only be in relation to financial sector entities. There will be a selection process of which financial sector entities will become subject to this direct um, supervision, and they focus around a cross-border presence of those financial sector entities and their specific money laundering and terrorist financing risk profile. The criteria to select those entities should not leave any discretion to AMLA and should therefore be quite detailed. So when it comes to the financial sector entities that will be under the direct supervision, AMLA will have quite far-reaching supervisory powers, first in the area of information and investigation, but then also powers to ensure that those obliged entities under their direct supervision will actually comply with the AML um, legislative framework. And um, this means that uh, the powers of the AMLA will be comparable to those powers that also national supervisors have in the area of AML. When it comes to indirect supervision, um, the task and powers of AMLA show quite a great variety. As mentioned, it's important to recognize that indirect supervision will also concern non-financial entities who are subject to the AML regulations. And the role of AMLA will include a um, coordination and support and oversight as well of the national competent authorities in the area of anti-money laundering prevention. This means a bundling of resources as well, um, as mentioned in the area of IT and artificial intelligence services. And already what we see, for example, from the Council, there are some very concrete proposals 
how this may look like and includes the establishment of a central AML CFT database, which will include information that AMLA receives, first of all, from national supervisors in the area of anti-money laundering, but also information received from prudential supervisors and also other authorities, among them, for example, authorities who will be responsible for supervision in the area of consumer protection. So this database will potentially provide for a pool of information, which then can also be accessed by those other authorities. In addition to running the information database, one key role in indirect supervision of AMLA will also be the provision of harmonized supervisory methodology which um, will be provided by way of level two and uh, level three legislative texts and guidances, meaning that AMLA will be responsible to prepare regulatory technical standards that then still need to be adopted by the EU Commission, but will also be uh, competent to provide um, guidelines and similar level three measures to further harmonize the legislative regime around anti-money laundering. In addition, AMLA will also be required to interact with the prudential supervisors and is asked, at least according to the proposal of the Council, to provide for a methodology that is complementary to the prudential supervisory methodology. Furthermore, besides direct and indirect supervision of financial institutions, AMLA will also have an indirect supervisory role over national FIUs. In this context, the AMLA will undertake peer and thematic reviews to identify best practices and promote high supervisory standards across the European Union. It will provide FIUs with resources and support to improve their analytical capacity and issue guidelines and recommendations. And besides the supervision of national FIUs, the AMLA will facilitate and coordinate joint analysis of cross-border financial crimes between FIUs and between FIUs and other competent authorities. The Parliament's draft report further suggests the creation of a support and coordination mechanism under which the AMLA would have the right to initiate a joint analysis by inviting FIUs to participate as well as Europol and Eurojust. National FIUs may delegate a staff member to AMLA. According to the Parliament's proposal, this should even be mandatory. The exchange of personnel should foster the exchange of data and provide the AMLA with an independent intelligence capacity. And in return, the AMLA should have the power to share its information with the FIUs and uh, with Europol. Janina, can you further give some details on the key takeaways for industry players? Happy to do so. We have established that this is all still in draft form, the legislative proposals, and to a certain extent, it will be for AMLA to prepare for its supervisory role. But I think what industry players can take away already now are the level of detail that is provided in relation to the criteria that will be relevant for the selection of those entities falling under direct supervision. Let me start by still saying that those criteria are not only not final, but even when the level one text is adopted, AMLA will also prepare further regulatory technical standards 
to further refine those criteria and those still need to be adopted by the EU Commission. And the draft for those regulatory technical standards is anticipated for the beginning of 2025. So it will still take some time until we have absolute clarity on those criteria. Nonetheless, I think it is worthwhile looking at what the proposals are at the moment. As I said, for the selection for direct supervision, there will be two categories. One is the cross-border presence and the other one is the money laundering and terrorist financing risk profile. When it comes to cross-border presence, the draft suggests to look at the number of member states in which an entity is present. And present does not only mean by way of establishment, i.e. where the head office and potentially branches are located, but it will also include freedom to provide services. So this is also different from the criteria that we already know from the SSM regulation, where cross-border activities are only looked at from the perspective of the um, establishments of a group among different member states. But as regards AMLA, freedom to provide services will be sufficient. The council proposal is that in order to fall under direct supervision, cross-border presence is required in at least seven EU member states. But what we are seeing at the moment is um, that there are various other proposals by members of the European Parliament, which are roughly around the number four to ten member states where an entity should be present in order to fall under direct supervision. In addition to the cross-border presence, only those entities will be selected with a certain high risk profile relating to money laundering and terrorist financing. And the risk factors that are relevant relate to customers, products, services, transactions, delivery channels, geographical areas. And that includes, for instance, the number and volume of correspondent banking relationship and services. But as I said, I think when it comes to those risk factors, we will still have to wait and see what the draft regulatory standards look like to have the final picture. What is also interesting, apart from this general methodology around the relevant criteria, the current proposal of the Council also distinguishes between a first selection process and a second selection process. So for the first round of selected entities, so to speak, the council proposal will require 40 entities to be selected for direct supervision. This means that if more than 40 entities actually hit the criteria of cross-border presence and risk profile in order to fall under the direct supervision, there will be additional criteria to then bring this number down of selected entities to 40. And the additional criteria will then be, again, the number of member states. So if a selected entity has a higher number of member states where it is present than another potentially selected entity, the higher number of member states will prevail. And if then still a decision is not reached on only 40 entities, the proposal says it will be necessary to look at the ratio of transactions in third countries to overall transaction of the entity. Then in a second selection process, after a couple of years of uh, being active, it will be required that an entity from every member state 
is actually chosen in order to ensure sufficient presence, if you so want, of AMLA in all member states. And one last point I would like to highlight there, which I find quite interesting, is that the levy that is required to be paid by um, selected entities for the budget of AMLA, the levy will not only be on those obliged entities who have actually been selected for direct supervision, but on all obliged entities who meet the cross-border presence criteria. At least that is what we are seeing under the proposal of the Council. To conclude with the AMLA's uh, powers, we would like to go a bit into detail in the possibility on imposing sanctions on obliged entity. If a selected obliged party is in violation of the relevant requirements, the AMLA may impose administrative sanctions ranging from 500,000 euros to 2 million euros. Sanctions can also be imposed in cases where a selected obliged entity fails to comply with a binding decision that the AMLA has issued directly to it. Furthermore, the AMLA can impose a periodic penalty payment in order to compel a selected entity or a person to comply with a binding decision issued within the scope of the AMLA's supervisory and investigative powers. The periodic penalty payment shall be imposed on a daily basis until the selected obliged entity concerned complies with the relevant decision. The Parliament draft report also mandates the AMLA to develop draft regulatory technical standards. These shall define indicators to classify the level of gravity of breaches and criteria to be taken into account when settling the level of administrative sanctions or taking administrative measures. Victor, could you maybe provide us with more information on the next steps? Starting with the Parliament, MEPs are now going into the negotiation phase in order to find compromises among the more than 1,000 amendments that have been tabled. This, of course, means a lot of work, but we expect the Parliament to reach a final position after the summit recess in order to start trialogues as soon as possible. In the Council, the Czech Republic has taken over the presidency until the end of the year. Its main task when it comes to AMLA is to clarify the issue of the location so that the Council can go to trialogues with a strong mandate. By the end of this year or by the beginning of 2023, trialogues between the Commission, the Parliament and the Council will commence. When are we then expecting a final agreement? That's a $1 million question, and it's difficult to predict for how long the trialogues will last. However, we can certainly expect a final deal on this piece of legislation during the first semester of 2023 under the Swedish presidency of the Council. Then, if everything goes as planned, the main goal is for AMLA to be established in 2023 operational by 2024, and finally supervising obliged entities as of 2026. So I know it's a lot of information and dates to digest for the audience, but this is why I will hand over to you, Marcel, for a final wrap-up and closing remarks. Thank you, Victor. To close our podcast, we would like to touch on one topic which has not been resolved yet. It's the seat of the new authority. This is also the reason why the Council's general approach is only partial yet. Several nations have already tossed their heads in the ring. 
Italian officials promoted Rome as the seat for the new authority and emphasized Italy's decade-long fight against money laundering. The Dutch cabinet favors the idea of the Netherlands housing the new agency, with The Hawk being a top pick. Germany suggests that Frankfurt should host the new authority and French officials touted Paris as an ideal location for AMLA, given the amount of financial expertise in the French capital. We expect this issue and other aforementioned open points to be publicly discussed over the course of the next months and will analyze these discussions in further podcasts and blog posts. One of our next podcasts will provide you with details on the proposed single rulebook on anti-money laundering on the EU level. In the meantime, we encourage you to check out our podcasts and Freshfields blogs for further information. We hope that you enjoyed this deep dive into the current state of the discussions around AMLA. If you have any questions or would like to discuss this topic with us, feel free to send us a message. Thanks for listening and goodbye.